Bible passage that will be up there. Um, I did call this Slaves and Masters. Simply took the um, took the title from the text itself, and I was um, in two minds about maybe calling it employees and employers because there is you'll see there there are some references in the text that can relate to to our world. Obviously, we don't have slavery today, but there are some things that we can learn from from the ancient slavery that's where you know that's similar to ours. So I've called it Slaves and Masters just um, also so that I can um, at least explain a little bit um, what slavery was like in the ancient world because it's um, we have one perception of slavery that um, mostly comes from the African slave trade of the 18th and 19th century. And if we read the scriptures with that in mind, with that perception we're going to get it wrong because it's, it was different in the ancient times, much different. It wasn't without its abuses, but it was a lot better off for slaves than what it was in the 18th and 19th century. So I do want to touch upon that. Um, and yeah, and yeah, I normally read from the ESV, but today I'll be reading from the NIV for the text. So if we can just have the text up on the screen and I'll have a read. It says here in Ephesians 6, 5 to 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and with there is no favoritism with him. There is no favoritism with them. Okay. So the word for slaves in the Greek is doulos. This word appears about 125 times in the New Testament. So it's a significant word. And a lot of the times you'll see in some translations that it's translated as servants or bond servants. And that is what... Um, and usually you get a footnote that says that there's a contextual reading in there because of the perception that we come in the 21st century. And that one is through the perception of the 18th and 19th century uh, of slavery. We see in movies um, how mistreated slaves have been. Um, for example, I think there's a movie called Seven Years a Slave or something like that. Um, and we see the horror and the horrendous things that happened in the 18th and 19th century. And so we come to the Bible with that perception and there's, there's that struggle that we have. And sometimes we might come across people who, also, who are, un, you know, they're agnostic or they're atheists. And they come up with this as one of the criticisms of, 
of Christianity and the Bible is that the Bible doesn't condone slavery. And so automatically they think that the slavery that the Bible promotes is that that was in the 18th and 19th century. So we need to kind of see things through different eyes. We need to see them not through the eyes of um, the 18th and 19th century slavery or the slavery um, that we see today with uh, human trafficking and uh, sexual slavery. That's, that's still um, something that's common in this world that we're trying to eradicate. So we don't want to see it through those eyes. We want to see it through um, first century Roman Empire eyes. Um, and it was very much different. And like I said, it wasn't without its abuses. They were there, but it was a completely different... Um, slavery was completely different. Okay. So let me explain. The slaves in the ancient Roman time, so first century Rome, there really wasn't much of a difference between slaves and the average free person. They looked the same... They wore the same clothes. They talked the same. They weren't segregated. They weren't separated. Slaves looked like er and lived like everyone else. They weren't different from the rest of society. By nature, they were treated as people. They were humans. They were treated with respect and dignity. But from an economic standpoint, and this is where it differs from an economic standpoint, they were treated as property. They were bought, they were sold. Slaves earned an income, believe it or not. They earned an income, like free people did. And at times they competed with free peasants for the same work. And unlike free peasants, they had opportunities. So if you were free, it was harder for you because your master didn't give you those opportunities. Slaves had opportunities, and they had opportunities to advance their social status. There was rank. You could move up in the slave world. Many household slaves were better off than the average free persons in the Roman Empire. Something like one in every three persons was a slave in Italy and one in every five in the rest of the Roman world. So there was a huge number. Slaves could even accrue enough money to buy their freedom. Their master might have given them some money as an income. They would invest it along with their master's money. They can accrue enough money to say, here you go, master, I'm going to buy my freedom. Some became um, quite prominent that once they've bought their freedom, their masters became their patrons. And so they moved up the rank, not just within slavery, but within the free world as well. There was a lot of opportunities for them, unlike the slavery that we understand that's occurred in the 18th and 19th century. There was absolutely no opportunities. Um, very, there were very few slaves that were slaves for, the whole, for all their life. 
and most of them bought their freedom within 10 to 15 years, or at least by the age of 30, they would have bought their freedom. On the odd occasion, a free person would sell themselves into slavery. They might have a debt to pay off, so they sell themselves to pay off that debt and slowly work their way out of slavery. Or they might do it to improve their social status. Some aristocratic women even married into slavery to improve their status. This is so that they can have a better life. Imagine marrying the slave of the emperor. How much higher rank would that be than just to, you know, in your own family? So as you can see, this is way different than what we understand slavery to be. 18th and 19th century slavery was brutal compared to the first century Roman Empire slavery. And like I said, the Roman Empire slavery wasn't without its abuses. Some of the slaves were gladiators and they had to fought, fight to the death. Some worked in the mines and lived a shorter life. But the most common slave was the household slave. And they were significantly better than a lot of people, including free people. Today's trafficking and sexual slavery is brutal compared to the first century Roman Empire. And thank God that we um, are motivated to stamp this kind of slavery out. It's, um, it was Christians such as William Wilberforce who was motivated to stamp these kind of slaveries out of this world. So we need a contextual reading. We need to understand that this is first century context, not the context of the modern era. So we need to view the scriptures through first century eyes, not through 18th, 19th, 20th or 21st century eyes. And that is to help us to understand passages like this or wherever this word is used, the word doulos, and the way it's translated. Sometimes it's translated as slaves, sometimes as servants, sometimes as bond servants. But to the first century Roman Empire, everyone understood what a slave was. So this morning we're going to talk about slaves and masters. In particular, for this passage, it's household slaves and how submission and is mutual in the Lord between slave and master. And what I mean by that is here we have instructions to a church. And what Paul is saying is that wives, there's mutual submission within the family, within the home. Not just in the church, but within the home. So in Ephesians 5.21, we read, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the overarching theme. So wives and husbands submit to one another, children and parents submit to one another, and slaves and masters submit to one another. It's what is considered the three household codes. So how is submission mutual between slaves and masters? Well, no matter what your social status is on earth, whether slave or free, all Christians share the same heavenly status as they share the same heavenly master. 
we're all slaves of Christ. And that's, and we're going to see how that um, comes out in the, in the scriptures. In the second half of verse 9, it says, Since you know that he who is both their masters and yours, their masters and yours. So this is um, Paul speaking to masters, not slaves. To the slaves, masters and yours. They share the same master in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Not only that, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23, that we are bought with a price. Okay, you were bought with a price not to become bondservants of men. And there's that word again, doulos of men or slaves of men. God bought us with the price of his son's blood. And so by implication, we do not become bondservants of men, but we become slaves of Christ. We are his. He owns us. We are his properties. Even Paul considered himself a slave of Christ. Many times would he um, describe himself as a slave, especially in his greeting. Like in Romans 1.1, Paul writes, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, that is a slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, or slaves of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. And even to Titus, when he wrote to Titus 1.1, Paul says, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ. He's, he is God's servant, God's slave, God's bond servant. He's bound to God. He's God's property. Other apostles had the same view. James 1.1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a servant. He's a slave. He's a bound to God and to Jesus Christ. And in 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter is servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Again, we find that same word. So it's not just apostle, but the other apostles identified themselves this way. And Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, he says in Jude 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. He also identified that way. And Christians are two slaves of Christ. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Live as people who are free, that is free from sin, not using their freedom as a cover-up for evil, but, as, but living as servants of God. So we are not bound to our sin, we are bound to God. We are his property. He bought us with a price. It doesn't matter what status we have on earth, whether we are slave or a master, whether we are employer or employee, we all have the same heavenly status. And this is what Paul is getting across here in verse 9. We are God's, and because we are his, submission is mutual. That's what he wants for us. And it's all out of reverence for him, for Christ. But we are still to honour our earthly relationships, our earthly status. That doesn't change. So he says that slaves, command slaves, that 
um, he says, slaves are instructed to obey and serve their master as they would Christ. We read from verse 5, slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. This is command. And remember, just always keep in mind the slavery of the um, first century Rome is very much different to what we understand. They had a lot more um, um, opportunities than, than, than what we think. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So what Paul is saying here is to obey with respect for authority in a sincere way. Obey with respect for authority in a sincere way. This is just part of the social structure. He's saying to do it all the time, not just when your master is looking. It's not like, oh, the master's here, or my employer is here, my boss is here. I better look like I'm doing some work. No, do it all the time. And not, not just to serve because it's part of the job description, but serve because you really want to, because you're doing it for God. Not doing it to please yourself or to please your boss. You're doing it to please God. There are further instructions for slaves in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 7:21 to 23, we read, "Were you a bond servant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity." So, there we go. We have a reference to the possibility of slaves gaining their freedom. Even um, when Paul wrote to um, Philemon, Paul requested that um, the slave in question be released, be freed, so that the slave um, can um, join Paul in his ministry. So even that might have happened. Verse 22, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price, do not become bondservants of men. We have a a parallel passage where Paul um, discusses the the three household codes. That's in Colossians 3.22. We find the same... um, command to be submissive between wives and husbands, between children and parents, and between slaves and their masters. We read in Colossians 3.22, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, again, not just by looks, not when your, your boss is looking, but as, or as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. It's all for God. And in 1 Timothy 6.1, let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honour, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. So again, doing it for God. And in Titus 2.9, bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. Now, 
Paul never intended to do away with slavery. He never said slavery needs to end. He instructed slaves to be the best slaves they could be for the Lord's sake. This is especially when he's instructing people in the church. And this applies not just to slaves, it can apply to employees too. This can apply to you and me. I mean, what's the difference back in the ancient, ancient Rome? Obviously, there were property. Slaves were property. But they had the potential to buy their freedom. We have just a few little extra freedoms and a few little extra rights. We're still bound in some way. We, we have to go to work because if we don't, we won't have um, enough money to retire on. Or when we do go to work and we are under the authority of a boss, we still have to submit to, to them. So it does apply to you and me. We have more rights. We have more freedom. But we also have authorities to submit to. And we obey our authorities, not for our sake, but for Christ's. We do it for God, even if our authorities don't deserve it. And that's, that's a pretty tricky one, especially now that, that uh, things are getting harder for Christians to live out their faith in the public square. Um, but this is one way we can. We, we might have a boss doesn't really deserve our respect, but still we're going to show it. We're not doing it for the boss. We're doing it for Jesus. And that's where it makes all the difference. It's his cause. We are his. And we do it for him. The only time we don't obey is when we're instructed against the Lord's teaching. So if your boss asks you to do something that's against God's teaching, against God's word, that's when we don't obey. That's when we we say, well, hang on. I can't do that. Apart from that, we obey. So it's not only instructions for the slaves, but masters also have theirs. Masters are instructed to treat their slaves in the same way as they would Christ. It says in 6.9, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Submission is mutual. Because all Christians submit to God. We're all slaves of God. We have the same heavenly status, the same heavenly master, and there's no favoritism with God. He's not going to say, oh, because you're a master on earth, I'm going to treat you better. We're all the same. We get the same treatment. Sometimes Paul wrote, there's neither slave nor free in the kingdom. Because we all get the same treatment. It's almost like, these teachings were kind of like the, um, the backbone of removing slavery from our society. Um, I remember in my studies, I was reading a little bit about how in the 18th and 19th century, um, some of the masters would prevent um, their slaves from reading certain passages in the scriptures because Paul often talked about equality between the one at the top and the one at the bottom within the social um, structure. And this might have caused um, a little trouble for the masters 
because then the slaves might come out and say, well, I'm, I'm like you in, in the Lord. So, the submission is mutual because all Christians are slaves of God and we have the same heavenly status, the same heavenly master, and God doesn't favour one over the other. He shows no partiality. And because of this, masters are to treat their slaves in the same way. That is to demonstrate respect with sinc- in a sincere way. It's really, really important. And not just when the slave is looking. This relates to employers. Employers, you show respect all the time. Not when, you, when your workers are looking at you. All the time, even, even when they're not there. If you're going to talk about your employer, you don't backstab them. You talk nicely about them. That's how we demonstrate respect all the time. Not, and you don't do it because you really want to. You do it for God's sake. This, is, this builds the kingdom. This builds the name of Christ in the world. Listen to our parallel passage where Paul writes a similar, similar instruction in Colossians 4.1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Justly, fairly, and don't threaten them. All this, like I said before, all this can be applied to employers as well. We've got some really good principles that we can live by here. And we live in an age where employers have many opportunities to treat their employees justly and fairly and not to threaten them. So many opportunities out there. But there's always also a downside. Employers have always demonstrated that this is hard to do. You know, the workplace is so regulated because of this. Um, and it's to protect employees from abuse. I mean, look at the scaffolding. Employers of the past will look at saving a dollar this was before it was law, they'll save a dollar and skip out on scaffolding if you're building a two-story house. The, the workers can just go up there with, on a ladder until one falls off and dies. We are having all these... Uh, well, our government is regulating this to protect. And that's why there's so many opportunities to be justly, to be fairly. And I think... As Christians, it'd be good. It'd be good to not just to wait for the government to act, but to act first. Because we we have the message of God with us. We are part of His kingdom, and we need to show the world that there is a much better better way. So the workplace is regulated to protect employees from abuse. This might be costly to employers, but for Christian employers, it's done for God. Now, when William Wilberforce, um, when he was on his quest to eradicate slavery in, the, in Great Britain, um, it didn't come with a little cost, it came with a great cost. Because all the slave owners needed to be compensated. 
And so they were by the government. Obviously, it was all taxpayer-funded, but the government would use half of the country's budget just to right this wrong, to right all the abuses that happened within the 18th and 19th century slavery. It is costly, but that's something that's done for God, for God's sake. And so, here in this passage we learn, submission is mutual in the Lord between slave and master, as it is between children and parents, as it is between wives and husband. And no matter what your social status is on earth, whether slave or free, all Christians share the same heavenly status as they share the same heavenly master. That's really, really important to understand. This is kind of like the level playing field. We're all the same in Christ. And this is the beauty of, of, of church. Because it doesn't matter what your skin colour is, doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank, doesn't matter whether you're educated or not, we're all the same in Christ. You know, this is probably the, the foundation for, for, for our belief that slavery needs to be eradicated because we are all the same. Slaves, in this context, are instructed to obey and serve their masters as they would Christ. And I'll just add to that and say, look, employees do the same as you would for Christ because this is the context that we live in. We're not owned by our, our em employers. We can move jobs if we want to but when we're at our job just think about how am I serving Jesus when I serve my boss and masters are instructed to treat the slaves in the same way as they would Christ and the same thing employers how is how if I'm not an employer but if I was one I would think how am I as an employer serving Jesus as I am being the boss of, of my workers. How am I serving Jesus? Are their needs met? So in conclusion, I want to finish off by reading uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This is some really, really good stuff here. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, and this is talking about Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, that is a slave, it's the same word here. He emptied himself and took on the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient 
to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed him on him, the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now I really like this passage and I really wanted to end on this one because it shows that even Christ came to this earth. He gave up his heavenly status. He came on earth to be a slave of God. He came as a gladiator to fight sin and injustice on the cross. And he paid for it with his life as a slave would in the ancient Roman times. He didn't come down to improve his status. He came down to give up his. He gave up his status so he can improve ours. And that's a really, really important thing to remember. And that's, this is where we can get our motivation to live in this world as either an, as an employer who serves the Lord or as an employee who serves the Lord. And therefore, because of what Jesus has done, slaves and masters can treat each other as they would treat Christ. Let's um, bow our heads in prayer and thank the Lord for his word. Heavenly Father, you have sent your son to us. And he has become your slave. The one who didn't work to buy his own freedom, but he worked to buy ours. And because of this, you have honored him. And he is the name above all names. And we are truly grateful that our status is new. Our status is a heavenly one. One that is in Christ Jesus. And may we always remember this, that everything we do, we do to your glory. Whether we are an employer or an employee, everything we do is for your sake. May um, this word uh, bear on our hearts, may we apply it in our lives, and may we live, um, live a life that honours you and glorifies your name, because you are worthy. You are worthy not because of who we are, but because of who you are, the one true and living God. In your name we pray, amen.